So good. Welcome, everybody. We got another episode of Lifestyle Medicine today. And today, my guest is Josh Brill, who's a music and mindfulness teacher, professional musician and producer, specifically focused on using music as a form of medicine and a tool for self-development. He's been playing for guitar for 32 years, teaching for 27, and currently offers online programs on music mindfulness. And Josh Brill is my friend, and for those of you who have followed my work at all, if you saw financial feng shui that I made about two years ago, which was an online feng shui program, Josh helped me film it. I don't know what you call it, Josh, screenwriting it, where you helped me with all of the cue cards and uh-huh. all of that stuff, but Josh I guess was, producing. Yeah, producing. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. So... Josh helped me with that, so he's got a great creative mind, and thanks for being here, man. Yeah, man, thank you for having me. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, for sure. That is that is definitely for sure. So let's just kind of open this up. You, We had talked about this a long time ago, and we've been talking about it in recent months as well, talking about sort of how you approach mindfulness and the use of um, music and playing guitar specifically, which I always mm-hmm. thought was really cool. You, you kind of described it as a as a methodology or a way to access mindfulness by the actual strumming of the strings and not just learning notes per se, but it was actually a process of like how you physically engage, where your mind is, how you sit, how you're breathing. And mm-hmm. I thought that was cool because you brought the body and the mind kind of into the guitar process. So if you could, you know, um, we gave the basic intro, but if you could kind of just give an overarching approach to how you're approaching music and why mindfulness matters in the context of music, all that stuff is pretty, pretty cool. So I'd love to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's been a long journey as, as the, the intro. I, I've been doing this since I was uh, eight. I'm 40 now, so 32 years. And when I was 12, I just knew this is what I was doing with my life. Like, I, I, it was just very clear. And um, the little catch is, is I, I wasn't necessarily born a musical prodigy or even somebody musically gifted or might I even say talented at least at first glance and I and I don't know what that is you know but um through my years I've met musicians who were just kind of either born with that thing or they picked it up at an early age and they just had that knack for it right um, I I didn't <laughs> but but I had a really strong calling towards it and um having had realized that this was my life at 12 I really began to get serious about learning music and, um, and, and trying to figure this thing out. So like, while while I don't consider myself to be naturally gifted, although I'll put those in quotations cause we could kind of like talk about that later. Sure. Cause I've later found that we all have the gift of music. Some might just need to open it up and find the way to access it. Mm-hmm. And for whatever it is, maybe those special people already have the access, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, but I had this sense of, well, it's possible. I always knew music was possible, even if it was difficult for me. And I had trouble finding rhythm or pitch or all of the things that make up music. I knew it was possible. And since I began playing when I was eight, by the time I was 13, 13, 14, I began teaching, uh, you know, somewhat professionally. Mm-hmm. And that opened up a huge insight to learn how people learn and what, it taught me that a big part of what the musical experience is, is deeply connected to our, our awareness. And, and I realized this at 14 because I would have different students and they would all learn differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know how I knew this at the time, but as a teacher, 
I, I, I kind of looked at it like puzzle pieces. So if this person didn't understand this concept, it wasn't that there was anything wrong with them. I just didn't find a way to present it to them in a way that they would understand it just yet. Mm. So that's sort of like, like at an early age really set my mind exploring what the internal awarenesses need to be that necessitate the musical process. Aha. Uh -huh. Very cool. And then through from then until now, you know, it's been quite the journey of twists and turns. I, I end up uh, pursuing music to a degree, you know, literally a degree. I went to Berkeley in, mm -hmm. in Boston, graduated. They asked me to teach there. I taught there. And um, I guess just through having different teachers and my own continued experience of the musical path, mm -hmm. it really always came down to awareness to, and attention. And um, I had some pretty profound experiences musically where I felt like I learned how to internally align to let the music flow. And whereas before those moments, I considered myself not musically inclined or not talented, what I recognized was that music is actually inside. It's an internal process. And when the internal alignments, almost like a Rubik's cube happens between our auditory awareness, our physical body kinesthetic awareness, mm -hmm. and literally where our thoughts are in our, in our internal attention, when those things are aligned and in harmony, music really can begin to flow. Yeah. So I began having those experiences where all of a sudden I realized that my, my hunch and my, my hope that there was music inside, there was, and it just took a certain level of working with the internal awarenesses until there was truly an inner harmony mm. uh, that began to release the music externally. Yeah, I, I like what you said and there's a, there's a saying, and I'm going to kind of butcher it, but I'm paraphrasing, but they talk about, you know, talent, whether it's acquired or bestowed naturally, in the end, it's the same. And, and it's, it's a crossover, right? Mm. Like kind of saying that, like, if you have, if you develop a skill, people equate talent, you know, like they kind yeah. of, they think that you're talented per se, or whether you were just born with it. But in the end, like when you get to this end point, they kind of look the same, you know, like if you spent time really developing something, it looks like you have a naturally bestowed talent, like you've actually built something. For sure. And then there's that whole epigenetic piece, like if you build a talent or, or if you build a skill that turns into a talent, then your children benefit often in some way, like they're mm -hmm. gonna get that that gift. So it's kind of a cool thing. To, I like that you said that, that it's, you know, whether we all have the gift per se, uh, it's in there, I like that. Do you think, you know, in terms of you going down I would say the awareness mindfulness path regarding the practice and cultivation of music. Did you have any experiences with teachers or I guess, you know, in your terrain of exploring music, did you have those experiences with people or teachers where you thought that was lacking and did it have like, did it create a rift in you or was it just something that you naturally hmm. sort of fell into? Cause sometimes people have a counterpoint where they're like, Oh, I didn't like that. Therefore I've gone this yeah. way. You know, my path with teachers, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's like, you know, like bow of reverence to our teachers, how, how important guides yeah. are yeah. Along, along the way. Absolutely. I really feel every stage of my development, I feel truly blessed that I had the perfect teacher for that time. Mm. And I really didn't have much experience with what I would call not great teachers. I did have some, and I'm happy to 
to, to bring it up in contrast. Um, but I just look back when I, when I was first beginning at eight, I had the perfect teacher for an eight year old. Mm. And then my next teacher, when I was 13, he was a great teacher for that. And then in high school, I had two different teachers. So like it all, like I, I had some re I, I had very, very positive, uh, support at Berkeley. There were, yeah, there were a few, there, mm-hmm. there were a few teachers that, that would help a contrast and it, it wasn't so much the contrast of them not being mindfully based. Um, but for me, it was a little bit more that they were stuck in their own criticism. Mm. So, um, you know, one teacher that comes to mind who, if I looked at my nemesis teacher, you know, mm-hmm. she would be it. She didn't like me. I didn't like her. It was very <laughs> mutual. Yeah. And, um, but she was just extremely judgmental and she was a voice teacher mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just one of the things that stick out was she she would call sting stink, and I just it really rubbed me the wrong way. And I wasn't a sting fan, but it was just the judgment and the criticism, yeah. which I would say is part of the mindfulness practice. Yes, is learning how not to be judgmental and critical and accepting rather yeah. than, you know. Um, but that really rubbed me the wrong way, and um, I could look at that as as contrast because, as as I mentioned, I've been teaching for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. um, I taught all throughout high school, through college, after college. I ended up taking a sabbatical because I, I just taught so much. Mm-hmm. When I came back to teaching, it was really almost to help. Well, not almost, but specifically to help people who wish to play music, but have stories that they can't. You know, for example, and. So much of the traditional music education, in my opinion, which a lot of it stems from Eastern European 1800 school that's very discipline oriented, mm-hmm. very strict, very rigid, or, and this might sound like I'm shitting on some people, but a lot of guitar teachers who may be good guitarists, but not, not be great teachers. Yes, because it's a different it's a different skill set. Yep. So many people who have wished to play music but might not have had that natural gift uncovered, mm-hmm. met with a teacher who was either judging, critical, over disciplinarian, like, or not helping them learn how to learn. So I think a lot of people have had a negative experience, perhaps, or at least a disengaging experience learning music, because music hasn't been presented in this way. And um, right as I've been really focusing and on doing it, it's been so enriching because one, it's not an egotistical thing for me, but it's really that I love music so much that I believe anybody who has any desire to play music really should have the ability uh, or the, the pathway to it. And the other path, which is practice an hour a day, you know, you suck like, you know, like that kind of overly critical strict. Yeah. It just creates for most people disengagement. And then they don't have a positive experience and then they stop. Yep. So the mindfulness is specifically looking at that teacher who was so judgmental. It's like, well, we're very judgmental towards ourselves, And it's so constricting. And especially music, which is such a vulnerable experience. And it's hard, you know, at times. We're learning a new skill. And we need to approach it like as if we had a baby who was learning how to walk. Mm-hmm. You know, I use this analogy when I teach. It's like, well, when the baby takes its first steps and eventually falls, 
a good parent or a normal parent doesn't say, what's wrong with you? How come you're not running? <laughs> right. They're filled actually with joy that, that they see this trajectory of movement. Yeah. So when people are taking on a musical practice, oftentimes they have the expectation of they should be able to do everything from the get-go. Yeah. And that's where I really help them with their mindset is understand you need to be gentle with yourself. You need to be compassionate. You need to watch those thoughts because that actually creates disengagement. Uh-huh. And just understand that that this is something new where, you know, specifically on the guitar, I also teach ukulele. We're asking our fingers to do something that they've never really done to that degree of yeah. um, dexterity. Uh, yeah, dexterity. Yeah. yeah, it requires a lot. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so we're in, and we're developing neural pathways that have never been developed before. Mm-hmm. So there's just a stage of development that's needed. And the more open that we can be with it, the more spacious and the more um kind to ourself and gentle actually the the this process begins to work in a much greater and efficient way because of that there's a couple different points that you hit on that i liked one is you could take that reference in this analogy that you're using i mean you could you could make it you could apply this to a lot of different arts in general and that's the cool part about i think art is that there's a confluence when we study an art and it's a discipline and there's also a science to, you know, to, to music. There's a, the mathematics, when you look at like the, the deep, it's beautiful about how it works, harmonics. And yeah. I think I like what you said because I can, refl- I can relate just to reflect to, to what you're saying, but to, to, to link it to something else is my background is in martial arts. And if mm. you, you know, even if you're not a martial artist, most people know that there's a very eat bitter disciplinary military like thread to most traditional martial art training. I was involved with a martial art organization for five years, which I think their biggest pitfall was that very thing. The judgmental mind and spirit towards other arts and other teachers and other methods. And it was always like the teacher who said stink instead of sting. Yeah. And especially if if I had bumped elbows with some of these other teachers and I would hear my teacher bashing them, that was always just a brutal thing to deal with. And it, and it compromised and it ultimately is what part of why I left the actual organization, I did have a bad taste in my mouth. It didn't sit well and I didn't, um, it left a bad taste and it actually sort of poisoned, like as I touched other martial arts, I had like bad programming going into it. It actually was like a bad association. (laughs) Yeah, I had to go and search and I had to take almost a year break off of martial art training and then I had to go find a teacher who was not like that. Even though I didn't study with them formally, I just had to be around them for a couple months and I thought, oh, there we go. That's the flavor I need again. It's just an open-minded, non-judgmental, and it cuts off the goodness that it takes out all of the good that can be seen. It's like no one has it all dialed perfectly. Yeah. There's going to be teachers who excel at certain things. And I like that you distinguished the good player, the good guitarist, as opposed to the good teacher, because those those are, I fully agree, those are com- two completely different things. Happens all the time in lots of different fields. People that are excellent at what they do, but they cannot relay it in a tangible, good way that's um, that's a beneficial or positive experience for the people. So I, I appreciate that you do that. And that, that mindfulness, watching that mind towards yourself, it's a great thing to have in the mix from the get-go. I mean, that's, yeah. that's huge. That's a big, that's a big piece. Um, did you have any more thoughts on that? And if not, I have like more stuff I want to, I want to pick your brain, but was there anything that you wanted to add to that? Yeah. Well, um, 
Yeah, I, I, well, I could definitely relate to the whole like bad taste in your mouth. And you know, when we're learning something, whatever it is, we're really opening up sort of like a very vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. Because when we're in the learning mindset, no matter what we're doing, we're basically becoming a sponge. We're activating that kind of record yep. mechanism. Mm-hmm. So how we're learning is as important, if not more than what we're learning. Yeah. And if we're learning in a stressful environment, if we're learning to play guitar or whatever it is, yeah. feeling stressed inside, we're going to learn stress. Yep. So how, yeah, yeah. I had, I also had a, a top period where I had to disengage from, from music even, you know, mm-hmm. um, physical hurt, emotional hurt, and just burnout. Yep. And part of it was restructuring back with this approach, which ended up being a beautiful gift because now I could share it with other people. Yeah. I, I sat with that for a long time. It's cool to hear that that has happened to you, but it was one of those things where I sat with that for a long time and I, I looked back because I had a lot of animosity and anger and I felt like psychic and emotional trauma from, from yeah. that tutelage method. It is. And when I came out of it, I was like, I felt damaged. And I, and I, when I talked to other people who ultimately left, they all said the same thing. They're like, my spirit and my mind and my body is tired from having been connected to that. And some of them never really came back fully to martial arts. They, they sort yeah. of have circulated around. Some have, some haven't. But it was demoralizing. It was tiring. And it's um, it's just strange that, you know, that is, that is I don't want to say it's commonplace, but it's, it's part of the journey. And I look at the time I had a lot of animosity towards it. And now... I kind of look back and it's it's almost like being when you're in a bad relationship when you're younger and you kind of find out yeah. what you don't want in a person. And yeah, I, and sure. I thought it was like, well, I did learn quite a bit though. Like as well, as, even though it wasn't like a tasty pill to swallow, it really did help me formulate better and reorient to what I actually am looking for. You know, the type of teacher, the type of methodology and not leading with fear and, you know, that stress because that ultimately, I mean, it made it hard to learn. It makes it very, it, it makes it very difficult. Like it's not, and it's not enjoyable. So, um, well, Josh, can you talk about the pieces that you have mentioned before and the, the, the mindfulness you're talking about for one, the, the mental piece, Yeah. the, what's your mind doing from the teacher? Sure. And then the outs, the external voice of them. And then also what you're telling yourself about your process. But can you talk about, because you have a background, you know, we've talked about this yoga and the body and the structure and some of the mindfulness yeah. stuff that you talk about, um, not just the mental piece, but can you talk about how that translates into the physical body, the breathing, like when you play the guitar, the, the strumming of the instrument, that stuff, the tactile, three-dimensional physical stuff I would like to hear about. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's good to also like look at the word mindfulness and specifically how I like to define it. Cause it's sort of, it's a word we use. It's, it's a little bit, neb- yeah. it's a little bit nebulous, yep. you know, what does it mean? Uh, people, I mean, we could deduce it to, to awareness or attention. Yep. Yeah. Um, the tricky part about the word specifically is that I feel like many people, when they hear the word mind or think of the word mind, they're thinking of their thinking. Yep. So, it's good to differentiate, and and part of my background um, has been very influenced by Gurdjieff, who is was this 20th century mystic that developed a school called the Fourth Way, mm. which basically ex- began exploring the human being as having three main centers of intelligence, which would be our thinking center, our feeling center, emotional center, and our moving kinesthetic body center. And that's been deeply informative about my um, my approach to this. So 
when I use the word mindfulness and I talk about this when I teach or give workshops, I like to flip it and, and look at it more like full mindness. Mm-hmm. And what is that full mind? Well, it's all of these awarenesses together. Mm. So it's not just um, aware of something, but it's that I can sense my body while I'm speaking. Yes. I'm present in my body while I'm here. I'm sensing the internal sensations that is a little bit more of a finer vibrational state, i.e. feeling. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware of what the thinking is doing. So having the awarenesses on all those creates a state of mindfulness or the mm-hmm. practice of mindfulness. So specifically the kinesthetic part, which, yeah, um, you know, my background with yoga, the first time I'd ever been in a yoga studio, which was roughly 2004 or five, was to play music for a class. Mm. And it was the beginning of my transition away from, let's say, traditional professional music sh- musicianship. Yeah, it's a more of the healing therapeutic modality that, that I'm on right now. Mm-hmm. That was that was that was a bridge going into that classroom. That, and um, and specifically, it was the first time that I'd ever played music for for an audience. Although I, I cringe at that word, but for <laughs> lack of a better word, where I felt their engagement completely. Because before that, it was bars, it was concert sure. venues, sure. it was places, you know. But this was people present in their body in a movement practice, quiet room except for the teacher's voice and my music that felt like a film score for the moment. Yeah. So um, that began my personal interest in yoga and creating music for yoga practice. And, and then moving on to labeling some of my programs the yoga of guitar and also have the yoga of ukulele yeah um, which are currently online courses and then some private study groups um but when we really look at yoga you know like the root of the word is you could define it in a couple of ways but uniting is one way mm-hmm. um, the harmonization harmony you know to yoke yeah and it's all of these awarenesses as a single awareness so one of the big profound things in my parallel yoga music slash yoga asana practice journey and music was like, wow, the playing guitar is a movement practice. Yeah. And no one ever told me that, but well, I shouldn't say no one. Like I, I had a great teacher, Mike Mangini, um, who is a, a, a world renowned drummer, um, is currently playing for dream theater, played for Steve Vai extreme. Um, oh, wow. Well, in contrast to the awful teacher, he was one of the greatest teachers I've had. Yeah. And he was the one that, and this was back in college, that that tuned me into how important body awareness is in movement practice, mm-hmm. in musical practice. Yeah. So yeah, um, and specifically how I found that begins to help. Well, one of the things is that assuming these three centers of awareness are, are thinking, you know, where, where our thoughts are doing, our physical awareness and our emotional sensing awareness. If we're not aware of one of those three at a time, we're sort of functioning in not a fullness of our being. So music practice as a kinesthetic awareness practice brings our awareness into our body. And just in contrast, like this is something that it, you know, it's almost laughable, but when most people learn guitar or ukulele or piano or drums, are they ever really taught how to be present in their body before they start doing something with their body? And (laughs) it's usually thought it's usually presented from a very visual and thought based 
experience. Mm -hmm. Here's where you place your finger, place it there, move it that way. But if we're not present in our hand, it's going to be really challenging. So these practices help us become present in our hand. And it does so because the sound is a externalized feedback of our awareness of our body. Mm -hmm. So the more present we are in our body, the the more the sound will reflect that, basically. The other part of it, too, is that our body, specifically, as you mentioned, our, our breath um, and physical movements are directly connected to the neural patterns in our brain. Yeah. So we can learn how to train different brainwave states by moving our body in different ways. Mm-hmm. Like yoga, if we are moving really slowly into poses or, you know, Tai Chi or uh, Qigong, we're literally beginning to entrain our brain waves to follow longer cycles of time yeah. through our body. Mm-hmm. And when we learn how to kind of begin to function this internal, let's say, gas pedal that we could begin to slow that thing down, yeah, um, we begin to have more awareness and more of a longer moment to have that awareness. Right. So using music as a physical practice that has an auditory representation is a direct connection into basically hacking into our internal tempo yeah, and learning how to stabilize it and expand it. Right. I like that. Yeah. I, and I have, I, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've developed practices that sync up the breath to all that. So mm-hmm. literally pranayama using sound and physical movement, which again, it begins to harmonize these three levels of awareness, right? Because the thing with the thinking, and this is why like mantra is so important is the thinking just thinks. Mm-hmm. So True. it's not so much that, you know, oftentimes in people in meditation, people hear it. Well, I, or I hear this from students. I have trouble stopping my mind or I can't stop my mind. Well, first of all, the mind never stops. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe in death. Right, right. You know. So we need to reframe the the, the languaging around that yeah. and the expectation. But maybe we slow down the thought patterns and create more gaps in between each thought. Correct. And in that gap, maybe we have something that feels quieter and more still mm-hmm. um, and calibrated. So one of the tricks to mantra is it gives the thinking something to focus on. Mm-hmm. When you repeat a phrase on and on and on, and you keep learning how to entrain your attention to that, yeah. then all those other thoughts don't have a place to go because you're using the mechanism that's generally thinking about those thoughts to hone in on something. Yeah. Yeah. I So I have a couple thoughts and then a question for you. So... I think what's really cool about music, I played music for a number of years. I was actually a music major when I went to college and I stopped. After my after my dad died, I had a real weird radical turn where like music kind of shut off for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It was just, and I pursued other things, things that I was kind of more naturally geared towards. But, uh, you know, I, I remember the coolest part about music was after I got through, because I played clarinet and saxophone and jazz band and I played some instruments. I tinkered with guitar for a little while. But when I would play, I remember, like you said, it was kind of, you know, mechanistic and put your fingers here and the note means that and blow. And there wasn't, you know, it's very like rudimentary and clunky in the beginning. But I remember that point where after about a year of playing music where that started, I started to kind of just naturally tune into 
how yeah. I could breathe, play a woodwind instrument, how I could change my hands and how I could get my body into it. You know, that's why when you see musicians play and they're moving their body. I yeah. remember there was this cool thing where it became expressive and therapeutic as opposed to just learning a skill. And yeah. the cool part about, I think, music is that sound in general is very evocative. It brings a lot of emotion up quickly. Yeah. And I think, you know, all arts have their, I don't want to say pros and cons, but things that they, they accelerate or move faster. And I find that with something like Tai Chi, which has no sound, it takes people a little bit longer to get into the what you would call the uh, emotionally feel good pieces of it because there is mm -hmm. no sound kind of coaxes that out of you faster. I think in a way it's it, there's a, there's a quicker biofeedback that seems to happen with it. But yeah. you're exactly right. Is that if you, once you get past the mechanistic, you know, rigor of, of what is supposed to happen and how you actually make the sounds, then you get this therapy that sort of comes from it. And it's really cool um, in that way. And my, my question to you is, about what you said, the three centers, Chinese medicine has the same, very similar thing, yeah. you know, lower Dantian, middle and upper, and it's kind of like a pyramid. You got to have the physicality to build a strong, clean mind. And, you know, people, when they hear the word mindfulness, like you said, it's kind of a buzzword. It's sort of, it's sort of, it, it, it gets lumped up into new age fluff sometimes, like, oh, mindfulness. And that body piece that you're talking about, that's what seems like, what anchors it down to where it pulls it out of just theory and just, mm -hmm. you know, like just this mental process that has no material thing. And it brings mm -hmm. it down and anchors it down to something that's happening in your physicality. So my question is when you are working with people and when they're coming to you for, for music and they want to learn this, what's the, I don't want to say pushback, uh, not pushback, but how, receptive are people to the idea that the physical body is the vehicle for which this happens is that a big leap for people or do they immediately be like oh yeah that makes sense or is it sort of you know are they are americans so stuck in their heads that it's a hard thing to kind of get them to to grasp uh i the, the reaction is generally very positive and yeah. relieving for people uh, that's cool good because it basically helps them understand some a blind spot maybe yeah and my clientele, um, you know, gender wise, I, I would say private, it's about half and half. Mm -hmm. My online programs, for whatever reason, seem to be much more women. Mm, interesting. Um, and, and I think partially because the programs call to uh, that, or maybe I'm just marketing it in a certain <laughs> way. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, you know, um, so the response tends to be very relevatory for people of of that and yeah. and also because it's experiential because you know I, I love that you brought up how bringing in the body it it gives it's not just a theory at that point it's an experiential yes. right moment right so when somebody begins to feel their thumb in the right hand mm -hmm. and the right hand in general all of a sudden it's buzzing and they're, and they're present and i you know there's internal meditations through it yeah it's like oh wow like that's new that, that's yeah. an experience that is yep. tangible and that's something that anybody could have from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And then to, even from a very beginner, playing a single string without that awareness and with that awareness mm -hmm. is a world of difference. Huge. Huge. Yeah. yeah. It's, like you said, revelatory. People have this, yeah. it's an, it, it is a true aha epiphany moment. And 
just to add this is you know side little story i in my undergrad when i was in college i took a psychology class and this one day in class it was like in the dead of winter in chico california and i was i was cold and i I had been sitting in class and the heater was broken in class and i had been cold the whole class and the teacher got to this section on uh mind body connection like the psychology Mm -hmm. class about this and he had us do this thing where he, he said um he made us say this mantra, sparkling eyes, smiling face, alert, amused body. And I, I remember thinking, he's like, repeat that, you know, sparkling eyes, smiling face, alert, amused body and mind, I think. And he would have us say that. And then he said, now I want you to imagine holes in the bottom of your feet and your nostrils are in the bottom of your feet. And when you breathe, I want you to breathe mm-hmm. all the way up to the crown of your head. And so he had this thing where it was this, you know, this idea about how you get your mind into your body. And I remember within less than a minute, my hands got hot. Like they, like the circulation came back. I thought that is the weirdest thing where we've taken kind of a mental theory and put it into the body. And my body has had now a physiological response. And I remember thinking the whole rest of the day, like I was paying attention to my body way more because he got my awareness into it, you know, Uh And and it's a simple thing. And it was a simple experience. But when you're talking about this, it kind of takes me back to that. It's like this basic thing of like, we're learning a skill set. We've got this, um, thing that we're asking our body to do and you've got to remember that the body is making it's it's the foundational you know three-dimensional thing that's making this come into form it seems so basic but i think that's it is a thing we kind of disconnect from we don't we we forget that the body is really critically important for pretty much everything we do so it's it follows suit that you're going to have to pay attention to what you're doing with it while you're learning this kind of stuff Speaking of, yeah. this garbage <laughs> truck coming by. <laughs> Mr. <off>. Garbage truck. <laughs> but we'll, we'll work through that. You know, like every, like contrary sounds can be, can be positive. For too. sure. But yeah. <laughs> like it's so true, you know, I, and um, I learned initially very, very heady because I, that's kind of just my own proclivity. Like I, yeah. I tend to be on the more philosophical, thinky realm of yeah. things. And, um, but part of, part of the unlocking of music was, was beginning to bring in those other, the, those other centers, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty profound. I, a big, a big influence and, and, uh, part of my own path began in 2013 where I, I attended my first, uh, course with Robert Fripp. So Robert Fripp, uh, short story is the guitarist and founder of a group called King Crimson, which was, mm. it began in the late sixties. Okay. Um, kind of the, uh, he really doesn't enjoy this word, but the, the founders of progressive rock mm. King Crimson and, um, and they're still together today. They, the band has morphed, but anyway, uh, short story with of Robert is he attended some fourth way programs in the lineage of Gurdjieff. Um, specifically John G. Bennett at Sherborne House. And Robert basically, through his own experience of that fourth way work, created a program called Guitar Craft mm. in the mid-80s. And um, specifically, Guitar Craft is said to developing a relationship with your, yourself, the guitar, and music. These three sort of centers. And... And you're basically having a discipline of the hands, the head of in the heart, you, which would be the hands being the moving, the heart, the feeling emotional center and the head being the thinking center. Yep. And Robert developed this whole program that that 
eventually turned into a different thing called Guitar Circle, uh, which when I did my first course with him and the group, that was in 2013. And that was going really deep into these practices of, you know, I mean, you could call it mindfulness. It's something very unique and it's hard to, to pin down into labels. Yeah. Um, but my work with Robert, it was very, very informative and continues to be. And um, we begin the day in that group with a practice of doing nothing, which is a sitting practice that's not passive. It's actually a lot of internal attention work. Mm-hmm. But the idea is before we can do something with the body, can we ask it to do nothing? And nothing, an intentional nothing, not a passive nothing. Right. So, um, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that, that that was also along the journey, a huge and, and continues to be a very deeply informative experience. Yeah. And I like it. I like it a lot. And as you're talking about this, I think that the biggest piece, again, which is just kind of circling back to, to what you're saying and you're reiterating and just, you know, solidifying this idea even more is that the moment the body becomes involved, what what is just mental theory becomes palpable. I, I think that's the biggest, mm-hmm. the biggest thing. And I think that's pretty relevant and pertinent for Americans because we're so in our heads and we're yeah. such a thinking culture and we're so scientifically Western and everything is, you know, measured and we're just a sharp metal metallic, uh, by Chinese medicine standards. So in that space that we forget to get down into the heavy earth, you know, into the body and into the, Mm -hmm. and it does ground things out. I mean, I think that's why we see it in a lot of different ways. People that are stressed out and angry when they go exercise immediately, what happens? Like usually that's the cortisol levels drop because we're moving the physicality of our body. We're allocating resources somewhere else. And we're yeah. not just doing that. So I think that's the coolest part about this is that you're bringing that in from the get-go. I think, you know, when you told me about this originally, uh, really, it was amazing because, I again, arts relate. And I remember you telling me all about a couple of years ago when we were like doing the financial feng shui thing and you were just talking to me about your process and how you've navigated it. And it made me think about... Uh, external martial arts and internal martial arts. External martial arts, they'll train the hard external stuff for years and at the high level, when you get up into the black belt, they'll start talking mm-hmm. about how you focus your breath deeper into the body. And a lot mm-hmm. of the internal arts, they start there. They're like giving that sensitivity right out of the gates. Maybe you don't pick up the fighting self-defense stuff as much, but you're picking up this sensitivity right from the start as you develop this thing. And I felt like, I was like, that's kind of what you're doing. You're, take, you're not just taking the external movements and teaching it from this military place. Yeah. You're immediately starting the conversation with, hey, feel your body, feel what your breath is doing, what's your spine doing, yeah. sense your fingers. And I think that's a really beautiful thing because when you open the door from that place, um, it slows people down. They get to have a relax, a more relaxing experience yeah. to where the practice isn't bringing stress to their life either. Because how many of us, like you said, they start something new and it's just like, oh, I suck at this. And it's yeah. like, God, how much more do we need of that? You know, how much... <laughs> like we have plenty of that for the most part for sure yeah yeah it's really good um well so let me ask you this josh and you mentioned this right before the the interview started and i want to shift gears if we can one of the things that struck me when i first met you in person was you had said that part of your music journey was that you had um sat in medicine ceremonies you know um mm-hmm. psychedelic medicine ceremonies and had played music and facilitated music in the in that context many 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 times and that immediately was like whoa 
I would love to hear about that because, um, you know, I've had one formal medicine ceremony that was two ceremonies over the course of a weekend, one time, one time, mm-hmm. one weekend. And that radically changed things in me forever. And it's not to say that I won't go back to it and try it again or sit with it again. But I thought, geez, if you've played music where you're facilitating that for a group of people many, many times, that was fascinating. And I would love yeah. for you to, you know, we don't have to go into it forever, but I would love to just hear about that process, uh, how you fell into that and what's been your experience in facilitating music in a psychedelic space. That's big. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And maybe I can bridge it by making one more comment to yeah. this last chapter, sure. which is in addition to body awareness, the other thing that, that is missing, mm-hmm. and this is probably the, the heightened most important thing is auditory awareness. Mm. So every note in combination of notes has its own color and effect on our nervous system mm. and, and our body. And that's what the musician learns. Mm-hmm. So just like when you mix purple or blue and red, get purple. you get purple, you know, yeah. and, and the painter knows that. And they knows if you do a, a little bit more of this blue and a little bit less of this red, it'll, it'll change the shade. Right. Well, the auditory experience of music, which is really where music is, is experienced. Mm-hmm. So the, the body becomes the vehicle for that. But the auditory awareness is the primary. Yeah. And the kinesthetic is basically right, right underneath kind of in a transparency level. Yeah. Um, and the different tones and combinations of tones, as well as rhythms and tempos, all have a different effect on us. Mm-hmm. So in this method, in my approach to music and, and my own revelations and, and studies, because when I first got turned on to Gurdjieff, one of the things in his book was he was saying he would play melodies and everybody would cry the objective nature of music. And that really excited me Yeah. because I, because I, it was like, I do have that scientific brain. It's like, sure. Oh, if I can play those combinations of notes, somebody will cry. Cool. Not in <laughs> a manipulative way, but just sort of like, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like playing uh, the power. Yeah. It's like, wow, I can do something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially when pointed towards a healing modality. Mm-hmm. So, um, basically a deep study of that in combinations through yoga classes sort of that was kind of simultaneous. I'm like, okay, well, how can I create a objective experience? Obviously, everybody's going to have a different subjective experience. Yeah. But there is an objective a- aspect to music, and, and this is where we'll bridge. And I have the, the guitar, and just to give a demonstration of this. Yeah, please. These two notes together, and it doesn't even matter what the names of those notes are, but those two notes have a relationship. Every two notes together has a relationship and every one of those relationships has a different feeling that it brings inside. Mm. Now, how we call that feeling might be different, but there's an objective reality to it. And the reason it is, is because, you know, when we think about notes, we don't necessarily think of every note as a rhythm, but it is. So this note, for example, is vibrating at I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure 110 vibrations per second. Uh So literally that string is doing this 110 times. Right. And if we looked at that as a visual, you would see these wave patterns. Right. This note here is vibrating. And here's where my math is going to go off. But uh, yeah, I'd I'd rather not um, do that math. But it's but I get what you're saying. It's like they have different 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 speeds and it's faster. Yeah. Right. And actually, in the proportion of these two waves together, if you looked at it drawn out or, or in cymatics or any sort of visual representation, sure. is a balanced proportional wave pattern together. Right. And that's why these two notes create 
that balanced, stable feeling mm-hmm. inside. And a lot of soundtracks begin on that. Yeah. Or like, like the sort of the king enters the room. So those sounds have an impact of, of creating stability mm-hmm. because the rhythmic wave patterns in proportion. And just in contrast, these notes are very dissonant and not stable. Yes. And that creates a different internal feeling as well, generally right. kind of more tense. Right. So the musical patterns and tones have an effect on our nervous system, which is connected to our body through our auditory system. Right. So that's sort of the full pathway. Yeah. That's and very cool. Yeah. So, you know, basically when I'm working with people and then that will transition into ceremonies or creating music for a therapeutic yeah. environment. Yeah. It's using the knowledge of how those tones make us feel mm-hmm. and tempos make us feel. So just like a very fast paced song gets our nervous system excited. Mm hmm. Like if you're watching a car chase in a movie, the chances are the music is going to be fast and, and inducing that sort of right. tension inside Right. versus a dramatic scene or something that's slower and longer will have music to accompany that. If you've ever watched a movie without the, a soundtrack, it feels very eerie that's weird. because you realize that the music is actually is what is creating the emotional response yeah. that matches up to the scene and it kind of tricks our emotional system into feeling something. Yeah. Um, so when I'm working with this method, it's using note combinations that inherently and objectively create a more calming, peaceful state because it's having that effect on the nervous system into the body right. through the awareness. Right. So Th- therapeutic sound. Yeah, quite yeah, literally. literally. Yeah, literally therapeutic sound. It's nutritious sound. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, like, like different sounds have different sort of impact on us. Yep. Um, so how that moved then into, into medicine ceremonies, which... Uh, primarily was ayahuasca ceremonies, some some mushroom, but pri- primary, primarily ayahuasca. Um, that exploration of learning how the notes and everything works with us through my own creating music for yoga, uh, you know, albums or live experiences. Yeah. And uh, so that opened up a, a, a sort of a knowledge that I, that I began to understand and. Mm-hmm the ability to be present in my body as well. Um, my first psychedelic experience ever was taking acid at 14 and I took it in school. I took it about nine in the morning. Uh, I hit it and I don't know what I was doing. I was just curious and looking, you know, for new experiences sure. at the time, you know, I was interested in psychedelia and altering consciousness. Anyway, I, I went through the school day tripping my ass off. <laughs> yeah, that's intense. It's very intense. At 14, and I went to every class. And I, like, it was really challenging, but I knew I needed to, like, keep my shit together. Yeah. And I did a fair, I, I, I did a good enough job that no one knew I was tripping, but, but um, or maybe some people knew. But, <laughs> yeah. but it felt like a shamanistic sort of, like, uh, what's the word? Um, journey. Well, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> initiation. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I learned how to access something inside that was like, okay, right. I know that dude's face looks purple <laughs> right? and, and the floor is dancing right now, you right. know? Right. But I need to like keep my center together. So yes. it kind of helped me like learn my center. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, short story is I stopped doing psychedelics at 15. Mm-hmm. Um, my last trip at that point was Jerry Garcia's last show, Grateful Dead. Oh, wow. Deeply revealing for me. It was the first time I felt the sunshine move through music mm-hmm. and, and love and a whole um, soldier field in Chicago, a whole arena, football arena of people who had positive vibes, positive intentions. Right. Very much in contrast to the metal shows and things I was going to at the time. Sure. And I also saw people who were burned out. Mm-hmm. And in that lucid psychedelic state of acid where everything is very clear. Yeah. I saw people who were never coming back. And mm. and I knew at that time I can't that can't happen. I can't let that happen. And just so, just to clarify, just if I'm hearing you right, so when you say burned out, you mean from the actual use of LSD? I don't know from what, okay. but but they looked they looked burned out. They looked like they, they were, were, yeah. They were, and they weren't just on a trip. They were, right. got it. They were, they they've gone somewhere that they can't come back. I, that they mm-hmm. weren't back from, you know. Right. And I saw it, um, so I knew like I I needed to not. And then when I was about twenty five, twenty six, I was reintroduced to psychedelics in a more spiritual, intentional setting. Mm-hmm. And I had already been meditating. I began my meditation practice when I was 20. So I had some years of internal work, also lots of musical work. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I I began also exploring music and psychedelics Mm -hmm. and that combination. So I I began uh, practicing at times, you know, I would take some acid uh, mostly and and play guitar and just sort of and it made it difficult. It, it opened up the sound in a certain way, but my coordination sure was different. Yeah. So it, it basically began, it helped me learn a deeper level of awareness because it was almost like, wow, this is hard. I need to become more attention, mm-hmm. attentional and present in my body. Um, so short, so that sort of began some experimentation of playing music from that place. Um, and then I took a long break from all of it, uh, like, like I had a good period of sort of a new indoctrination and then uh, no no substances at all. Um, I was going through a pretty deep depression and I and through a lot of synchronicities, I was invited to join an ayahuasca ceremony. I had drank the medicine and gone to two ceremonies eight years before that. Mm-hmm. So I, I had two experiences with ayahuasca, both within about a year, but both eight years previously. Mm-hmm. And um, the person who invited me, the person who was, who was leading the ceremony said, you know, bring your guitar and we would love to have you play. And, you know, my reaction was like, well, God, I don't know if I'll be able to, but yeah. I'm, I'm happy to, to bring it. Yeah. And <laughs> um, yeah. And it was a very deep ceremony. Um, and I was able to play. And not only that, but but I found the medicine space to create a different auditory awareness within myself that, that I basically was able to hear the sounds better. Mm. And whatever that medicine does, it sure has a very um, beautiful relationship with sound and music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically after that ceremony, I was asked to be a, a, a musician for further ceremonies, you know, continuing to drink the medicine while playing, right. which for some people it was like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And the internal process, well, I don't think I'd be able to if, if I hadn't had, you know, close to three decades at that time of, of practice. Sure. So, you know, like obviously I had a certain degree of mastery already. So even if 
I was in an induced state. I had enough already established. Yeah, the foundation was laid already. Foundation. Yeah, exactly. And um, in all of the work playing for yoga classes and studying music basically allowed me to move into the medicine space and create therapeutic sounds. And basically, um, we, we didn't get into this and you know maybe we will, but a big part of music in my approach to music in mindfulness is learning how to develop deeper levels of attention. And that's by using time, which is rhythm, which is measured. Uh-huh. Rhythm is measured time. And just like if you're building a house or a room, it's important to have accurate measurements of the space uh-huh. because if a, let's say a room is 10 feet long, you know directly in the center that that's the first balance point right. between those two extremes. Right. So rhythm and time work the same way. Mm-hmm. And it can be difficult for many people to keep good rhythm or time. And the reason is is because our timekeeper, which is our brain and body, fluctuates in its own time cycles. Mm. So we perceive time differently because our brain basically is moving through time differently. Right. Um, when we regulate that part, something changes. Mm-hmm. And that's like the, the real core of my own personal work with music, both as a teacher and just in my own practice, is learning how to use time as a means of regulating attention and basically having a crystalline experience. Mm-hmm. So in medicine ceremonies, that became a big part of what I was doing with people because um, well, one, people are coming in into a very vulnerable state. <clears throat> so at that point, music is guiding them through it. Mm-hmm. And it can be very challenging for people to open up, especially ayahuasca, which is very strong for many people. Yeah. Um, that the music gives their attention, even if it's in the background, something to hold on to while they're maybe dissolving. Um, it's so like, it's like a guide. I mean, that's the way I've heard it descri- the described. It's like if you're feeling yeah. lost, follow the music. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. So you know, to, for me, taking that role deeply as a sacred, as a sacred guide, was to make sure I'm holding the space, which means holding my space. Uh-huh. If I'm drifting off, then the music's going to drift off, and then yeah. and then. So it necessitated a deeper level of awareness internally, which I, I find is a beautiful practice. Yeah. And then using these combinations of sounds or rhythms as a as a means to guide through the room while mm-hmm. also intuitively sensing, well, what's the energy of the room? Do yeah. we need to be a little bit more up? Do we need to bring it down and help soothe? Do we need to kind of get a little jagged for a moment to push through some energy? And then as that's pushed through, bring it back together mm-hmm. as as a harmony. Yeah. But the foundation of that work and my work in general is all about harmony, basically. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. I have a logi- yeah. I have a logistical question for the people that are yeah. have not partaken in an ayahuasca ceremony or have not uh, are not familiar with the rhythms that sort of crop up during a ceremony. Oftentimes, people, many people, will vomit and yeah. they will they will what they call purge. And so, as the as the musician facilitator, I mean, if you're ingesting the medicine, how do you navigate that very logistical thing of I'm playing music, but hold on while I yak. Like how does that yeah. how does that how does that work <laughs> or has it worked or what do you like what do you do I mean you know <laughs> I've never purged while playing uh, I've had a couple moments where I really thought it was going to happen yeah and you know um, for those who have not been in a ceremony you have a bucket next to you yep. you know and it's just it's you know it's a very raw experience and it's vulnerable and you yeah. know it's it, to say you the know, least <laughs> yeah um, 
but it, I, I, I never happened, you know, uh, but there is, there is moments where it felt like it was close. You know, personally, I, I've actually only purged, uh, vomited one time in all the ceremonies I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that is. I think part of it, especially when you're going in as a, uh, as a guide, as, mm-hmm. as a guardian, um, you, you begin to learn the diet that works for you yeah, and what you can and can't eat ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also how to kind of move the energy a little bit. So, um, interesting. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I have a, well, I have a question for you and this is something I heard from the, when I partook in the ceremony back in 2018, uh, the shaman that was the two shamans that were facilitating and, and, you know, doing this for us. I didn't, uh, everyone in the room, I think there were 15 people in this particular ceremony. Everybody in the, in the room threw it violently except me. So I, uh-huh. I didn't purge at all. Never even got, well, I didn't, it's not that I didn't get nauseous. I had moments of nausea when I would think a certain way, but that's kind of what was, yeah. I was being schooled on internally was like, if you think like that, it's going to make you sick. And so I would have moments where I would think about something or be judgmental and I would start to feel sick. And then if I peeled yeah. away from it, I wouldn't get sick. So there was that, but I asked the man the next morning, I said, so why was everyone puking? And I wasn't. And he said, well, if you noticed, he says, you cried a lot. You, you know, you like, that was a big piece of, I cried, I mean, out of the eight hour journey, I would say a good five of them were me crying in some capacity, sometimes really hard, sometimes just softly weeping, but I was crying quite a bit. And he said, you might be on that spectrum where the way you purge is actually just more emotional than physical. Yeah. And I'm curious if that has been true for you, because do you cry more during a ceremony or do you at all? Or is it just, you, you don't puke and you don't cry? I've cried. Um, you know, I think one of the things is that and you probably can relate to in, in your own leading moments of leading a class or, or a session. Yeah. Being there as a facilitator, facilitator, I would still have my own process. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and definitely had the many times of nausea and I can relate to the, the thoughts that would create that for sure. Yeah. But it was always there in service of holding space for the group. So right. I think like, and part of part of the music also helps keep that clear, because mm-hmm. it's less about my expression. If if I'm if I'm expressing in a ceremony, I feel like I might not be sensitive to the needs of the group. Mm-hmm. So I try to play more from that objective, clear channel yeah. place, rather than this is how I feel and I want you to feel it too, <laughs> you know, like, especially yeah. if it's a more emotional thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful, man. Well, Josh, in kind of like a, a summary, I always ask people, my guests, when I've like, we've kind of gone through and we've touched on a lot of different things, but, you know, to recap everything and to put it into a nutshell with kind of a leading question here, but, you know, if people are listening to this and they've never played guitar, They've never really, you know, embarked upon anything musical, but have interest. You know, why does music matter? Why? And moreover, why does mindfulness in the context of music matter? You know, if you were to nutshell, put that in a nutshell for people that are like, why should I do this? What what do you say? Just just a simple existential question on the most powerful thing in in humanity. And and let's just (laughs) pop it into a nutshell. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I can give a lot of reasons why I think I personally feel music matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel the probably the biggest one I can present is that it seems to matter for everybody. So 
in for different reasons. Mm -hmm. But it it seems without even getting deeply into the philosophical, which I will get into because I can't help myself. But for one reason or another, music has touched almost everybody's life to some degree, to various de degrees as well. You know, here's a quick just like edgy place. Um, there's a wonderful LEG clip where he's interviewing Donald Trump. This is pre POTUS yeah. Trump. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a friend and Ali G asks him, you know, what's the most popular thing in the world? And, and Trump goes music. And Ali's like, no, that's pretty good. You know, anyway, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you know, however you think about that guy, like that's probably the right answer. Yeah. Like out of all cultures, it's universal history of hum history of time. Yeah. Genders, binaries, non-binaries out, out of all the things. Yeah. yeah. You know, music is really a, a continuity of humanity. Yeah. So if we look at it just from a sociological place, music helps the individual mm -hmm. and it helps group collective. It brings people together. It brings mm -hmm. them together. And now here's a deeper level to having synchronous moments. Mm -hmm. If you are watching a band play, there is a beat. If there's a beat that we're all in training to. So now all of our brain waves, to some degree, various and yeah. body movements, sure. are coming into a shared pattern. Right. Which something magical happens, you know, that when that happens. Um, yep. And synchrony exists all throughout nature. You know, just a little quick side note. Why do crickets cricket? Mm -hmm. You know, for mm -hmm. example, and they cricket together. Yeah. They chirp, whatever it is. Yeah. And from an evolutionary standpoint, it's theorized, and I, I would agree that it makes them sound bigger to predatory animals that are bigger. Yeah. So when a group of crickets are cricketing together, yeah, something else might be like, holy shit, I don't want to, I don't want to fuck over there. Right. Because there's some big ass thing, but yeah. really it's just a bunch of small things right. in harmony together. Linking so up. there's some, there's some level of evolutionary perseverance of coming into synchrony together, you know? Yeah. Um, so at one level, music touches us. Mm-hmm. At another level, it brings people together. At a deeper level, especially from a musical practice or like direct experience with music, it brings our self together. Yeah. So the sort of gradations of finer and finer levels of harmonization. Mm -hmm. So it begins to create homeostasis within the system, nervous system, brain waves, heart. Right. Which is very valuable. It also gives us something very productive to do with our time. So, you know, we all have 24 hours a day. That, that's, that's, that's the same. And we all have X amount of days. That's not the same. Yeah. And our awareness and attention and how we use time through the day is not the same. So if we watch three hours of Netflix and no judgment, you know, and maybe that's an enriching experience, but I would say for most people, it's not. It's a passing of the moment. Right. And what I would say is, you know, we're paying our attention to that thing. Mm-hmm. And, and we're spending our time, we're spending yes. our attention, a music practice, like other practices, we're investing our time, we're investing our attention. Mm -hmm. So an hour, let's say a musical practice stays longer than just that hour. Just like if you put a thousand dollars in a bank and it turns into a 1100, you get a net gain. Yeah. If you put a thousand hours into music practice or any practice, but you know, yeah. we're talking music. Yeah. 
you don't just lose that time, but you're actually storing it into something yeah. that can bring you joy. Uh-huh. It could make a campfire more more exciting, you know, simply playing music. Yep. It can lead into changing humanity. Yeah. You know, we look at... So music matters. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, and, um, you know, I really look at it as a, a consciousness, you know, and, and basically... And this is a little esoteric, but a map of understanding flow and understanding harmony and the ability to tune to that. Mm-hmm. And where that leads, it could be a saving grace. You know, it's like because, well, as consciousness continues to evolve, it seems that music continues to evolve as well. Mm-hmm. And I look at it the other way, that that sort of music is bringing consciousness to greater levels yeah you know and if we look at primal music it was less accurate and modern music is very accurate now not to get all into the technical side of that yeah but if you're building a house and you can measure the room you're going to have a more stable house correct so as as our awarenesses and and also the merging of technology has helped um move that forward it really has allowed for, I think, music to have an even even deeper impact at the consciousness level, which may be, you know, like, not that I have visions of utopia, I personally don't, not that I, nor do I have visions of dystopia, I just kind of think yeah. humanity will always be a work in progress. Yeah. But there seems to be something about music at its core that continues to help upgrade our consciousness and also bring us more and more into levels of alignment, both internally and as a group collective. Well said, I'm not going to add anything to that. (laughs) That's very well said, Ben. Well, Josh, thank you for this interview. Um, I really appreciate what you're doing. I love your take on it. I love that you're bringing mindfulness and bridging it into the body, into music. People need it. It's, it's a, you know, it's the world is ripe and ready for this on a mass scale. So I'm all in support of it. If people want to find you, if they want to follow your work, if they want to check out your programs, social media, what's the best way to see what you're doing and to get a hold of you should they want to pursue something yeah. with you? Yeah, for sure. And just to um, just take a minute to talk about these programs, I, I, yeah. have, I have two online courses. One is called the Yoga of Guitar and one is called the Yoga of Ukulele. And it's these methods applied obviously one to the guitar and one yeah. to you really yep. yeah and those are online courses that anybody could join at any time and do on their own um time mm-hmm. and i also have um i've just began to launch these things but something called ukulele mindfulness and guitar mindfulness which are five-week group zoom sessions mm-hmm. so they're basically a chance for us to meet in real time especially right now when we're all kind of like separated yeah physically to have a shared moment of presence and work on music to develop mindfulness. Um, so at this moment, we're getting ready for a one in June for guitar. So we're wrapping up the ukulele one. Uh, we have a guitar mindfulness coming in June and then ukulele in July. And it looks like we're just going to alternate those. Great. So basically, there's going to be rolling things. And then I also work with people one-on-one um, as my space is available. So those are kind of three tiers of yeah of diving in and um i have a number of different websites so i don't know what the best <laughs> what, like 
you can list them all or you can list the ones that you think are most you know relevant sure. right now <laughs> okay so there's there's my site which is um sadly in need of an update and i'm sadly in need of an assistant so maybe there's one watching right now but um joshbrill.com is a site and maybe by this comes up i'll have links to the other ones okay um but there's also yogaofguitar.com okay and yogaofukulele.com beautiful and then on facebook i have a page josh brill music and mindfulness and Excellent. Instagram is Yoga of Guitar, so maybe there's a place we could put the link somewhere. I don't know. Oh yeah, when we uh, post, I'll put I'll put everything up. But it's just good as people listening, it kind of orients them because people oftentimes will look up right away when they're listening, so this gives them that opportunity. But yeah, I'll put everything when we when we release it. We'll put all of your all of your data up. Um, cool. Well, Josh, thank you again. Much appreciated. Um, yeah, keep playing music, man. Keep doing keep doing your thing. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, man. Thanks. It was really, it was really fun. I feel like we could go on for five more uh, hours. You we, know? we could. And, and that's why I've always said to my guests, you know, the people that I have on, it's, it's always like there's a re-invitation or an invitation to come back because usually we don't cover everything, but yeah, yeah this was, a, this was a good place to start. So I think it's, it was good. So great. Hey, man. Thank you again. Thank you. All right. Take yeah, care. I appreciate it. Take care, Josh. Bye-bye.